Welcome to How Did I Get Here, the podcast where we take a deep dive into the careers of working professionals to learn about their journey so far, career joys and struggles, and advice for people considering the same path as them. My name is Erica Lipton, and this season we are talking to Protestant pastors and asking them the question, how did they get here? My name is Amy Yoder McLaughlin. I'm the pastor at Fraser Mennonite Church, which is here in Malvern, Pennsylvania. And fun fact about me. Uh, Okay, I never wanted to be a pastor. (laughs) There's my fun fact. (laughs) I think a lot of pastors can probably relate to that fun fact. Yes. (laughs) Um, so how long have you been at Melbourne and how long have you been in ministry in general? Um, I started pastoral ministry in 2010 in Philadelphia and I moved here to the Malvern area in 2018. So I've been here at this church for three years. You're a pandemic pastor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so as you mentioned, you didn't really think you were going to be a pastor um what did you think you were going to be when you were like growing up so I was a total church nerd growing up um I I was at church all the time Sunday morning Sunday night Wednesdays whenever there was something at church I was there um we were the family that would get there 30 minutes before it started like our whole family was just like that um I always thought I would do something church related, but I never, I did not grow up in a tradition where it was allowed that I would be a pastor. So uh, I thought I was going to Africa to teach Bible. That was what I thought I would do at one point, Um, some sort of mission work, because I, I mean, ultimately that is what a lot of women end up doing if they can't use their pastoral gifts in the States, they go to other contexts where they can use their gifts. So, you know, I, I should have, I should have known at that point, but, um, you know, that's, that's what I, at one point I thought I would be doing. Yeah. Yeah. So could you kind of take us on that journey then from kind of thinking you're going to be a missionary maybe to how did you end up as a pastor? Oh, it's a long journey. Um, I, <laughs> I went to Eastern University. Um, did. I did class of 94. Um, I thought I was, well, I, I, <laughs> I was a sociology major there. I majored in social, minored in theology and missions. Um, and mostly my minor in missions was to argue with the professors about why mission work was a bad idea. Um, but that's just, I, that is the, are you familiar with the Enneagrams? Mm-hmm. Okay. I am an Enneagram eight. So I am, um, I learn best through conflict. So um, that is, yeah. Oh yes. Love a good argument. So um, when I graduated from Eastern, I, I had this moment maybe in March or April of before graduation of what does one do with a sociology degree? (laughs) I probably should have been thinking about that earlier, but um, I was just really busy. Uh, And I was like, okay, I can go to grad school for sociology. Don't really want to do that. I could also become a social worker. So I was a social worker for about 13 years. Um, 
I worked in child welfare uh, in Philadelphia and did foster care, adoption. Um, I worked with uh, birth families, the whole nine. Um, and then at a certain point, I started having kids of my own. And the tension between working with families that were really um, a mess and then coming home and trying to be functional with my own family, I was really struggling to do that. So for a little while, I went into um, uh, like support, uh, like staffing support for child welfare agencies. Um, and then I had, I had some time where I was discerning something like what is next. And my two best friends also from Eastern, they both went to Princeton Seminary. And I thought, okay, I can't be. Uh, one went two years after one went five years after. Oh, okay. And I thought, yeah, I can't, I can't be like the, the third person in our Trinity, like going to seminary. That's just feels like I'm feels kind of lame. Um, and also I took, uh, Greek at Eastern and, uh, nearly failed that and thought I can't go through that again. Um, and I had kids, they were two and five when I started, uh, this discernment process, and I thought, I can't go to seminary with babies. Like, this is ridiculous. Um, but I, I did have this very, like, um, powerful moment with God where I, it was like Jacob wrestling with the angel, um, where I felt like God was not going to let me go until I just said, okay, I'll go to seminary. So finally, after a month of not sleeping and every night, just like being awake and wrestling, I finally said, okay, fine, I'll go to seminary. To be fair, a month is pretty good. Some people. Well, um, yes, it was building up. <laughs> the, the lack of sleep was the last straw for me because um, like I can be in conversation with God and it can be contentious, but I'm sleeping at night. Um, but it's when I lose sleep that I know that I am in big trouble. <laughs> I like that. So um so yeah, I, I, I started at the Lutheran Theological Seminary in Philadelphia, which happened to be right up the street from me, um, started there in 2007 um, with a two-year-old and a five-year-old. And um, when I finished, my daughter was just finishing up her kindergarten year. And uh, yeah, so I did this with babies, um, which is proof that uh, when God wants something, um, <laughs> it's going to happen. What was that like, like being in seminary with kids? Because nuts, completely <laughs> nuts. Um, when I had a friend who did it before me, a couple years before me, and I asked her, like, how did you do this? And she said, okay, Amy, you have to treat this like it's a nine to five job. You drop your kids off at school, you go to school, you work nine to five, you go pick your kids up, you take care of them. And if you need to work after they go to bed, do that. But like, this is like, this is your job. So have some boundaries around that. And that was really good advice for me. Um, I mean, the other thing I did was when I had to, I had to take Greek and Hebrew. So if you are not having to take both of those, um, I don't even know what to say. I'm, I'm mad. Um, but I took- and That was, it was rough. <laughs> it was rough. Yeah. And Greek is easy. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 Hebrew. Hebrew. I, I would love, to, like, I would love to be gifted in languages. I would love it, but I'm just yeah. not. 
Yeah, me either. Me either. So I made flashcards. I had hundreds of flashcards and I would sit at soccer practice with them. And my daughter would sit on my lap and she knew Greek and Hebrew better than I did by the end of the semester because we did the flashcards so much. Um, but yeah, I mean, not abnormal. Actually, my professor said something similar. Really? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And like my kids are sponges for language, especially my son. So he had friends who were Jewish and they were learning the Jewish or the Hebrew alphabet. And like my first day of Hebrew class, I had to bring my son because school hadn't started and he could name all the letters of the alphabet before I could. So it was very challenging to have kids at being seminary and very humbling, um, but, but we made it work. We made it work. Yeah. Um, so you graduated seminary. Where'd you go from there? So I had been at a congregation in Philadelphia since 96 uh, called Germantown Mennonite Church, uh, the oldest Mennonite church in the Western Hemisphere, by the way. Um, and they were really key to affirming my call and affirming um, and, and helping to support me financially and emotionally and spiritually during seminary. Uh, and in, in a, like a lay person capacity? Yeah. Mm hmm and it's a very um, community church, like in, in that uh, priesthood of all believers is, is like a key principle there. Like we're all doing it. Like you're not special because you're the pastor. We're all, we're, we all get to preach. We all get to lead worship. We all get to do all the things. So um, I got to try out things, um, which was great. And when I went into seminary, I didn't think it was for pastoral ministry. So I actually thought I was going to like lead a nonprofit. And then I took a preaching class and was like, Ooh, this is really fun. <laughs> and I, I said to my husband, like, Oh, maybe it's, maybe it's pastoral ministry. And he was like, no, 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 no. You're going to run a nonprofit. You're not going to be a pastor. <laughs> and I was like, but like, what if, what if I am? Um, so for him, he had to kind of deal with that of, wait, that wasn't what we were, I bargained for here. Um, but anyway, Germantown was very supportive of me. Um, and Germantown is a very unique congregation. So right as I was coming in as a, as a, as a participant in the congregation, they were being kicked out of the denomination um, for welcoming gay and lesbian folks into, into membership. And that really formed me. Um, that really formed how I understood what the good news is, what I understand community to be. And um, I, I basically feel like I was taught about who Jesus is from the gay men in my congregation. Like it, it was a very powerful experience that felt very different from what I grew up with. So going into seminary, I, at the time, I knew there weren't, oh, okay. go ahead. What church did you grow up in? I grew up in the Church of the Nazarene. And for a little bit, I was with the Southern Baptists. Okay. Um, so to go from that to Germantown was like, woo. I can imagine that's very different, yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, at the time that I was in seminary, um, they were going through a pastoral search. And I kind of felt ambivalent about applying because I didn't want them to hire me just because they felt like, well, 
where else can this woman get a job right now? Like having the, the mark of Germantown on her. Um, but they did end up hiring me uh, from within, which was a beautiful, beautiful experience to be able to pastor in the place where I was called from um, and to be able to pastor people that I knew well. Uh, so, so that's like the congregation that, that called me and affirmed my, or that affirmed my gifts called me into, into ministry. Yeah. How, so to be fair, I don't know a lot about the Mennonite ordination process, but so mm -hmm. with that happening at the church, you were called to what made you decide to stay in the Mennonite domination? Mm -hmm. That is a good question. So I, um, yeah, it, it felt contentious to be part of the Mennonite church because this church that I was called from got kicked out. Um, that felt really difficult and I didn't know quite what to do with that. Um, but at the same time, like the values of the Anabaptist tradition um, are very formative to me. And I have felt called into this new church to uh, continue the the work around um, like welcoming, and I'm not talking about just about like um, queer folks, but like expanding the vision of the Mennonite church um, and expanding that here in a suburban context uh, and expanding that with people who are, are ready to be pushed and challenged. Yeah. Uh, I, my friends think it's very funny that I'm like, I've gone from being on the outside outside of the tent challenging what's happening on the inside to now being on the inside, they think that is hilarious. A little unique. I feel like usually it's the reverse, right? It's the other way around. I know, I know. Like you join the man. <laughs> right, I know. <sighs> so when you were serving at that original congregation, were you ordained in the Method or the Mennonite church and you just yeah. weren't working in it or? Um, so because Germantown was not part of the denomination anymore, they didn't really have a structure for ordination. And they had actually been creating an ordination structure as I was coming into the role. And I basically said to the church, if you want me to be ordained, then tell me that's what you want. Um, but the ordination is while you're at Germantown, you're ordained um, and you're ordained for time and place. And basically no one at Germantown really cared about ordination. And I realized at a certain point that I cared about it more than they did. So I finally just said, I would like to be ordained now. <laughs> and they said, oh, oh, cool. Okay. And so in 2014, uh, after being there for four years, I was ordained as, um, and, and to me, I saw that as an affirmation of the call, an affirmation of the work that I was doing, um, and a blessing for me to continue to do the work, um, which was really important to me at the time. Yeah, that's definitely unique, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Now you're here, you've been kind of in two fairly different church settings from Germantown to Malvern. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think are the easiest and hardest parts of being a pastor? <laughs> or the best and maybe the hardest? Maybe the easiest, best. The, the hardest, the hardest part, I mean, uh, the, so there, 
there's a little bit of both in there. Sunday morning at 830 is horrible because I'm like, is the sermon where it needs to be? Um, and I'm thinking about like what people are thinking about the topics we're working on or, you know, lots of stuff running through my head. 1030 on a Sunday morning is the best because the service is over. I can get a gauge of where people are. And I just love seeing everybody. Um, and it's it's a beautiful moment of just seeing everybody's faces and hearing like in a sermon that I feel kind of iffy about, there are people that are that needed to hear whatever I said. Um, and that I don't have to like create this beautiful masterpiece every week. Sometimes it just needs to be as simple as like, there is grace for you and God loves you. Like that might be enough for the day. Um, but in terms of just, I mean, so that's like a, a moment in time. The hardest part of late has been this pandemic. Um, congregations could never have imagined this would happen. Um, I certainly wasn't prepared for this in seminary. I would imagine you're not prepared for this exactly either. Um, <clears throat> so it's the, the pandemic has been really lonely because I have gone from like seeing people every day to going months without like having actual physical contact with anyone besides my immediate family. And, um, and they've had enough of me, frankly, my family has. Um, but we spent 15 months on Zoom and it was an amazing, creative, energizing experience in one way. Like we learned a lot, but when you turn Zoom off, it's just you. And uh, like, you realize how important community is. Um, but to do, but to do this pandemic while also dealing with like the murder of George Floyd and um, the insurrection at our nation's capital, like it all felt way more overwhelming because I couldn't see anybody, you know? And Zoom does a lot, but it doesn't accomplish that human contact that we all completely desire and need in life. Um, so this pandemic, I feel like some days it's going to break me trying to get back in the building now feels like it's going to break me because every week, like we're in this weird process of we're worshiping outside unless it rains, but we're kind of not even re really like emotionally ready to be back in the building yet. Cause folks here are very cautious. Um, and so like, we have to make some hard decisions every week and I am tired of making hard decisions. I am tired of pivoting. I am tired of not knowing what is going on. I am so tired. So this pandemic is the hardest thing. But one of the other harder things that they don't tell you in seminary is that, you know, pandemic time is really lonely for a pastor, but being a pastor is also a lonely thing because um, like our job is to like connect with people and we're, our job is like, we're also not everybody's friend. Like the people in my congregation, I work alongside with them. I serve with them. And also at the end of the day, they can't know like all of my inner life because it would stress them out. Like if they knew some of the things I was wrestling with, um, I don't, I think they would be worried about me. And so I have to be careful about who I tell things to, which means I can't tell my congregation everything. 
Um, and my last congregation who was like my family, um, and this made it really tricky because they, they called me from within, they knew me, they thought they knew everything that was going on for me. So when I announced that I was leaving, people felt so betrayed because I was their friend. Why didn't I tell them I was thinking about this? And like, I have a life that is separate from what happens here. Um, and often people in the church can't be part of that, like to protect my heart, you know? Um, so that is one of the harder parts of ministry, you know, give me a good conflict. No big deal. I love that stuff. People mad at me. It is my sweet spot because I can win people over. Um, but like, I'll give you an example. A couple weeks ago, um, we bought a new car, like a brand new car. And I have had pe people say to me, oh, brand new car, huh? Hmm. You know, like, oh, aren't you fancy? And that just irritates, like, I, it's like, I don't want to tell anybody anything. Because if I say things like, they're like, oh, well, how much are we paying you? And, you know, it's like, I don't, I don't get to have everything I do is on display. And yet I am trying to keep some things private. So it feels very complicated. Um, sorry. Like setting boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I have to work really hard to maintain those relationships with people that I've known for a long time, even though I'm not in proximity to them in the same way. Um, I, one of my dearest friends from Eastern, we talk on the phone very regularly um, because she understands she understands how difficult it is to uh, be in this role and have a life. And so she is committed to be my person um, and to keep checking in on me. And I've committed to do that for her too. She she's not a pastor, but she provides pastoral support to people. Um, and we both, we both need each other. We both need to check in on each other, you know? Yeah. She's my, she's my beach buddy. She's my, the person I text if someone is irritating me, she's, you know, <laughs> and also like I, during this pandemic, <laughs> we lived in the parsonage for a little while, which is right next to the church. Um, and at the beginning of this pandemic, my husband was working, four days a week in DC and three days he was home. Um, and so it was basically me and my high school daughter and our dog, my son was in college. And then the pandemic hit and we were all in this small house right next to the church. So I felt like I had no, there were no boundaries for me. It was horrible. So a couple of months ago, we actually moved four miles away from the church. We have a little bit of property, it's quiet. Um, the dogs can run around in the backyard and I just sit in the backyard at night and don't think about church. <laughs> <laughs> when I was at the parsonage, everywhere I turned, I saw church and to be able to be in the backyard and think about like, oh, where do we want to put this chicken coop we've been thinking about? And, um, you know, where do we want to create space to hang out with friends? Like, that's what we're thinking about. We're not constantly seeing the church building um, and we're not constantly on top of each other. And that really helps me too to have some, some distance from the church. So it's almost like you're saying like, 
lay people are a hundred percent, you know, in relationship with you, but you always feel like you can be a hundred percent you in relationship back to them. Yeah. Yeah. It's a weird dynamic. I feel like people don't often think about how weird a dynamic between church staff and people is. Right. Right. Um, and part of it is knowing like how much people can handle seeing of me. Like there are certain people at church that see more of me than other people because I know they can handle it. Mm-hmm. And it actually helps my pastoral ministry for, to, to show a little bit more of myself. But then there are other people that like, I can't give them any information because they will turn it around and use it against me. Mm-hmm. And so some of it is just like years of social work, knowing people, knowing the type that you're working with and knowing I'm going to, my, my walls are much up, much higher with one person than they are with somebody else. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I wanted to rewind a little bit to when you were saying about your husband, how he was like, no, 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 you're working in a nonprofit, <laughs> um, which I thought that was really funny. Um, but so first off, I thought it was interesting because a lot of people, it's kind of the reverse, right? They're like, spouse or someone close to them is like I think you're going to be a pastor and they're like no, no, no so what do you think like I know you kind of said that preaching class but was there like a way it felt that when you said it you were like oh that's right or was there like some like was there something that clicked or was it just like it felt right when you said it it was a very slow process like I remember the moment that like we were actually away in Vermont for the weekend and um I said boy this, this preaching class is like amazing. What if I'm called into a church? And he was like, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but it's, it was the beginning of a conversation so that by the time I got to my third year of seminary, he was like, oh, I get it now. <laughs> um, but, but part of what's funny about this is um, when I got married, um, I, my, I had no interest in being in the public eye none at all. My husband was trying to decide between being a rock and roll star and an architect. So I know. Um, so when, I mean, and he settled on architecture, um, that was his backup plan, but he settled on that. And, you know, as, as we, as we grew in our marriage and as we understood our own selves better, I came to understand like, oh, maybe this pastoral call is what I'm, is, is the thing. Um, And so it's been interesting that like, I became the person that was in front of people all the time and he became the support person, like, cause our kids were young. And so he would stay home with the kids if I had to run out and do something pastry. So we often reflect on like, all the ways that those roles change that we were not expecting. Um, I mean, pastoring definitely, like I can say with confidence that this is definitely where my gifting lies, but it's not something um, that I ever wanted or expected. And it's certainly nothing my husband expected. So in these, like last week, I had a week where I was like, maybe I should just quit and work from home as a mortgage processor. That sounds good. I have this um, idealistic idea of like, if I was a mortgage processor, people would leave me alone. Um, I know it's not real, but that's like what I go to when I'm having a hard week. And he, he is the one that now says, but Amy, like, what about this call that you have? 
Like, I, I want to support you in honoring this call. And it's so interesting the way that that's turned in the last, you know, decade or so of our marriage. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, it's not like, like he didn't think when he married you, you know, that you were going to be, you didn't think when you got married that you were going to be a pastor. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because like pastoring is kind of a job that involves your whole family to a certain extent. Yep. Um, Especially when you're making that commitment when you already have kids, like what was that like? Like, Like when you were thinking about the process, what were you thinking about in regards to them and how it might affect them? Like all of those things. I think I didn't, I didn't think about it too much because I was in a congregation that already knew and loved my kids and I didn't feel like they were going to have, um, make judgments about them in the same way that it would be if I started in a a congregation I didn't know. When we made the switch here to Malvern, my daughter was starting her freshman year. My son was starting her se- his senior year in Philadelphia. So we were kind of separated. Um, and my son didn't actually, hasn't actually come very much to, to Fraser because he was in their last congregation and he's just not interested in church. And so we've hit a point in our, in our um, parenting. I mean, he's almost 21 where like, I can't make him go to church now. <laughs> um, but this congregation knows my daughter and um, they love her and they affirm her gifts and they haven't made judgments of her in a way that I worried that they might. Um, they just take her for who she is. Um, but she ha- she is gifted in similar ways that I am. And so I, c- I could see her uh, being on some sort of pastoral track as well. Like, she is the most articulate 17 year old I have ever met. And part of it is because she is in a family where we're always talking about hard things because that's what pastors do. (laughs) Um, But it's, I I don't feel like I've ever had to protect them too much. And if I feel like I do, um, no, I can't, I cannot think of a time where I've had to protect them from congregational judgment. Oh, just lovely yeah it's really a testament to your two congregations mm-hmm. um, so what did what was it that made you move churches or switch um, congregations so the beautiful thing about pastoring a congregation that you know um, and that knows you is that it's very easy um, there was no honeymoon period I just kind of like eased in nicely and um, it was lovely The hard thing is um, kind of what we talked about with relationships before people know you and that relationship changed for me when I became the pastor, I had to be careful and um, people thought that they like the relationship to the congregation shifted and people didn't realize that was happening. I think the other hard thing is that I, after being with them for, you know, over 20 years, I had this realization that everything that I had been doing with them, like I couldn't take them any further. Like there were things that the church needed to do that I couldn't help them with. And they didn't know that yet. And I didn't want to be there. I wanted to leave the church on good terms. I, I didn't want them to be like, yeah, I don't think Amy is the right person for us anymore. Um, because 
because I came from within, that would have been harder for them to do. And so I needed to make a decision. Do I stick this out until my daughter graduates from high school or I make this move now? Um, and I think people assumed, actually, I know they assumed that I would just stick around at least till Reba graduated from high school. And so they were really shocked when, when we switched between her eighth and ninth grade year. But I, I needed that church to, to do some hard discernment that they couldn't do with me because I was too familiar to them. Like I was, I was, um, oh, what is that? Do you know the honey badger meme? Yes. It's like, okay, I was called the honey badger <laughs> because like nobody better mess with my people. Like I was very protective, mothery, um, and that was good in a lot of ways and it got them to a different place, but they didn't need a honey badger anymore. They needed someone else. Um, and to recognize that, um, it was important for me to recognize that and leave before everyone else realized it. <laughs> yeah. That's an impressive thing to be able to do because when you are comfortable like that and familiar, like it's really easy to just want to stay there. Yeah. But this job is, is not about comfort. Um, it's definitely not about personal comfort. Um, it's about um, thinking about what does this community need um, and what is, what is best for everybody. Um, so to have it be, yeah, that, that, is, that is a different discernment as a pastor than it would be um, for a bigger congregation, yeah. Um, I'd love to talk a little bit about, so you kind of mentioned that the church you grew up in didn't really affirm women in pastoral roles. Um, so what was that like growing up, even though you did feel called into the in way? Yeah, um, I didn't know that that was what it was that was happening, that calling was happening. I just knew all the things I wasn't allowed to do. Um, so yeah, okay, I have this very vivid um, memory of like meeting with my pastor in middle school because I was getting baptized and joining the church. And I had all sorts of questions about theology, okay? I was like 13, I was very precocious. But I had a lot of questions and a lot of things that didn't make sense to me. And he was so exasperated with me. And he finally said, if you have all these questions, maybe you aren't ready to join the church. And I was like, oh, no, 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 I'm ready. I won't ask any more questions. And I just think, looking back, ah, oh, you know, the, the in, in fundamentalist Christianity, asking questions is a bad thing. And for me, Christianity is all about asking the questions. Um, so I couldn't, I couldn't even articulate the question of, am I called into ministry? Because it just wasn't even in the framework. Um, so I didn't even, I didn't even have what I would articulate as a sense of call. It, it was only until my theology had been transformed through experience that um, the call began to emerge as something that made a little bit more sense. Um, oddly enough, it made more sense when I had a two-year-old and a five-year-old than it did when I was, you know, uh, in high school in fundamentalism. So go figure. That's odd. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and 
would you say that like kind of shift in theology where would you kind of say that happened and why that yeah um so that started to happen at eastern um i'll, I'll go back even even further i went to a mennonite high school um and had not was not actually very familiar with mennonites um and when i was growing up we did a lot of talk about paul and the epistles spent a lot of time in the epistles um so god in my understanding was angry and judgmental um and we sucked basically but but to go to this mennonite tradition where instead of talking about you know inviting jesus into your heart it was about this journey of discipleship that every day you get up and decide yes I'm going to follow Jesus again today and that you're not doing it in this like personal Jesus in your heart kind of way, but in this, like, I can do this thing because I'm doing it with other people. Um, that was so powerful to me because this journey of faith felt so, um, it, it was about piety for me growing up. You have to be good. You have to say the right things. You can't say these other things. You can't ask these questions. You can't do these things. But like, what can you do? Where is the journey actually taking you? Um, it, to me, it's taking you to a place of yes rather than a place of no. Um, so it started there with Mennonites kind of opening that up to me. And then I went to Eastern. Um, and I don't know how Eastern is now, but for me, then the, there were like two camps. There was the um, progressive evangelicals, and then there was the conservative evangelicals. And I ended up with the pro progressive evangelicals where we were, um, you know, this, we were there in the years right before Shane Claiborne. So it was the, you know, we were getting activist-y and stuff like that, but it was in direct relationship to our faith like our faith was calling us to action um and then going to germantown and encounter encountering gay christians and hearing from them like more about what it meant to follow jesus than i had ever heard before and through struggle through um you know a faithful reading of the text through uh experience um and that shifted how I understood and how I kind of <clears throat> built that theological framework that I had. Yeah. So Eastern was very important in that. <laughs> so now, obviously, you are a woman clergy person uh, in the church. Um, how do you feel like that, do you, or do you feel like that affects your ministry at all? Absolutely. Um, Ministry is, um, is an embodied experience. So the person that I am, um, the body that I bring into this is definitely, it's all part of the package, right? So I feel it when I encounter men who, um, who, I mean, some men are more direct and will say, Hey, have you read second Timothy, blah, blah, blah about women? And I'm like, yep. <laughs> yep. Um, or, or people who are surprised that I am a woman uh, and a leader, all of those. Um, and so I have just kind of gotten used to 
filtering out some of that nonsense and just focusing on my community and what my community needs. Um, and for, for those that struggle with um, me and my role, they don't have to come to my church. Um, but the people that are here, we're working on stuff together. And, um, and I can do some of the things that I do as a woman. Um, I feel like I can bring um, some heart into this work um, that uh, might not be there if it was another person. Um, because for me, like, faith is not uh, a cerebral experience. It is a, it's a full body experience, you know? Um, it's our heart, it's our mind, uh, it's, it's all of it. Um, so I, I do feel like I'm, I'm impacted by the, by the fact that I'm a woman. I'm impacted by the fact that I did social work for many years. It makes it much easier to pastor. It's probably a more useful, like my, my MSW is more useful sometimes than my MDiv. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I also feel like I don't encounter the difficulties that I used to. Um, and it's much easier for me than it was for women a generation ago, for sure. <laughs> yeah, we're kind of like on the flip side. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So in your congregation now, when you were like searching for a new congregation, um, I'm not quite sure how to phrase this question, but when you were looking for a new church home, right, were you looking for somewhere that was kind of opening and affirming to um, either the LGBTQ plus community or, you know, the other things you believed? Or were you, were you aware that you might go into an environment and okay going into an environment where you kind of had to start that conversation? Oh, yeah, good question. I didn't know what I was looking for. I just knew it was time to leave uh, my last congregation. So uh, I'm going to give a shout out to spiritual directors who um, walk with you and are asking those questions about like, where are you feeling God's nudge? Um, I think all pastors should go to spiritual direction. Um, it's been, it really helped this process for me because when I started spiritual direction, I went in just crying because I knew I had to leave. And I was like, what do you do with this? <laughs> And I actually thought I was going to go into nonprofit work um, and not into. Once again, we're back. I know, right? Um, and my spiritual director just said, open all the doors, Amy. Open all the doors. Just see what's there. Um, and I'm actually, this congregation I'm in right now was the congregation I attended when I was a student at Eastern. So coming wow. come come full circle that... Um, you know, in the 90s, I was here as a student and felt the hospitality and love from this congregation. And now I'm coming back to serve in a different way. Um, yeah, I was, this is a congregation that is on the journey of becoming, uh, I would say they are welcoming, but not affirming of queer people. They may say something different. Um, but they're open. Like they called me knowing who I am and where I came from and knowing that I was going to push them. And they called me wanting to be pushed. And um, so we've been having like exciting conversations about um, racism. Like we spent a year working on racism conversations. I don't, Dave may have been talking to you about that. 
for me, it was really life-changing to walk with people who are recognizing the impact of our own whiteness on the world around us. Um, I felt uniquely placed here to have those conversations. Um, we're having, we're, we're, we're just, we're talking about what it means to uh, use our property, which is like 20 acres in the middle of a highly developed suburban context. Like, what does it mean to use our space and steward it well? Um, I feel uniquely placed here for that. Um, I love to ask those big questions with people. Um, so I wasn't necessarily looking for a congregation just like Germantown. I was looking for a congregation where my gifts could be used. And I also recognized that if I was going to a church like, like Germantown, they can hire a queer pastor. Like someone at, Fra like at Fraser isn't ready for that yet. So I feel better taking that space and maybe making them ready for it than I do taking a space that a queer person could take, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes yeah, for me as a straight white lady, I gotta, I gotta step aside. There are times when I have to step aside. Yeah. Honestly, I mean, I feel like that statement is the most telling to your like theology and understanding of mm. justice in those situations. Um, um, so we, we were connected through a friend of mine, Dave, who I'm in seminary with. Uh, who's in your congregation mm -hmm. um and I wanted to know like if you were talking to Dave or someone else it doesn't have to be Dave um who is kind of thinking about seminary or thinking mm -hmm. about fall into pastoral ministry what's the advice you would give them what would you say to them mm -hmm. <laughs> um I'm praying that this doesn't come off too cynical, but I'm just going to say it anyway. Go for it. Just be ready to, to pastor a ship that feels like it's sinking. <laughs> so that's not very hopeful, but, but I feel like we, we go out there and we represent this Christianity that isn't actually Christianity. Um, like the world hears Christian and they hear something else. Um, and our churches are, sh are shrinking and dying, and we may spend our careers closing up churches. Um, and what does, you know, you're, you're not going to go out there and be like a mega church pastor. Like, it's not going to happen, like 99% of the time. And honestly, I wouldn't want that. Um, but how do we walk with, how do we walk with Christians now into a new, a new world where Christianity means mean something different where people it's not the center of people's lives and honestly that might be okay because who's left are going to be the people that really care about what it means to follow Jesus but like prepare yourself to be not successful in the way that success is going to look to other people um so to give you an example when I started at Germantown one of the questions they had for me was how are you going to grow the church and I said what makes you think that that's the most important thing? Like, are you concerned about numbers for our budget? Or are you concerned about faithful followers of Jesus? Because that's what I'm concerned about is like, how do we create people? Um, how do we transform people's lives so that they want to go on this journey of discipleship? But that might look like pastoring a sinking ship. 
I mean, I like that because it's like if you're willing to hop on board the sinking ship, then, you know, whatever comes next, you can handle. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Like this is not a, uh, a glorious time to be a pastor. <laughs> Honestly, has there ever been, though? Yes, but not for any of the right reasons, you know, mm. like back in the mid 20th century. Oh, it was awesome to be a pastor. So much power. Um, so much, so many ways you could abuse people if I'm going to be totally cynical and like the veils are being lifted off of that. And I think there's something beautiful about being a woman in that context too, because I, I feel like a safer person to pastor in a context where people have been abused. Mm -hmm. Um, and how do I model that, that kind of, um, pastoring that looks more like servant leadership than it does like, you know, leading from above, um, I, I joke that as a Mennonite pastor, I serve a congregation of 20 rather than like lead a congregation of 20, or I'm sorry, 200. Um, so leading is saying we're going this way, but serving is saying, where do you feel God calling you? Like we need to practice, we need to help our congregations practice asking those questions rather than saying, God said, like Moses, like that's just, that's not what it means to be a leader in these times anymore. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week on the How Did I Get Here podcast.